be today. Uh, you're a day late and a dollar short. Sorry about that. All right. Okay. Well, last week, Jared told us that God's plan and purpose in saving Saul was to use Saul to minister to others. Saul was saved to serve. But before that happens, Luke is going to introduce three unsung heroes of the faith. The first one is Judas of Damascus. He took Saul into his home, not too scary because... Uh, in spite of Paul's rep, uh, Saul's reputation, Saul was blind and frightened himself. But then God uses Ananias and Barnabas to bring Saul the next two steps into the circle. I think the star of chapter 9 was Ananias. He gets at least what I call a silver star for bravery as he obeyed the vision to go find this infamous Saul of Tarsus, the enemy of the way. In fact, even Daniel had to be thrown into the lion's den, but Ananias walked right in himself and found Saul. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem... He tried to join the disciples. You see, Ananias did by himself, without any backup, what these people wouldn't do in, in their entire group. They were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But it takes another act of courage to fulfill God's plans for Saul. We see in verse 27 of chapter 9, but Barnabas took Saul and brought him to the apostles. Now you're going to see a lot of Barnabas through the book of Acts, but he's true to his character. Barnabas is the kind of man that steps out and steps up for other people. Um, he's willing to take a risk. In fact, that's the first point I want you to look at in the back of your bulletin. Following Jesus means taking a risk. We all have fears to overcome. Maybe standing up to the crowd, the, the old friends that liked you better before when you were partying with them. Or maybe even family who rejected you because you're walking away from what they believe. In fact, as a church family, we're learning about and we're praying for Christians around the world who are risking their lives daily, being persecuted for their faith. Last week, who did we pray for? Uh, Sudan, Sudan and uh, India. But before Saul is sent out of Jerusalem to the city of Tarsus, even the great enemy of the church himself is given a sentence of death. We see in verse 29, because he spoke, boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Saul seemed to be as committed to what he believed after uh, he accepted Christ as he did before he accepted Christ. So when the brothers helped Saul escape to Tarsus, Luke, the writer of Acts, shifts the attention, the focus, back to Peter. 
It will be Peter that opens the door of salvation to the Gentiles. I've um, got a, uh, a map, I think, where we see that Peter traveled from Jerusalem to Lydda, then on to Joppa, where he stayed with Simon the Tanner and raised Tabitha from the dead. Remember, Tabitha uh, in the Aramaic is Dorcas in the Greek. And honestly, I had a friend in Escondido named Dorcas. And I felt kind of sorry for her every time I said hi to her. It was a tough thing for her to live through. She's still plugging away, though. So just as we found Philip two Sunday mornings ago, we find Peter in the middle of a successful evangelistic crusade. Look at verses 42 and 43. Oh, I think I've got them up here. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he, Peter, stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. Well, that's where we're going to find Peter this morning. As he stays with Simon to continue this successful, fruitful ministry. <laughs> but the Lord, as he does many times for us, has other plans. Chapter 10. Well, now chapter 10 lies at a critical point in the growth of the early Christian church. It's one of the most important chapters in the entire book of Acts, for it records the opening of the door of faith to the Gentiles to the rest of the world. The next couple of chapters will focus on Peter because Jesus had given him a special mission concerning the establishment of the church. He was given the keys to the kingdom. I've got statement number two in the bulletin uh, to emphasize what I think this means, the keys to the kingdom. You see, Peter wasn't given authority over the church. He was given the keys of the kingdom to open the door of faith to the church, to the Jews first in Acts 2, to the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And now he will complete this special ministry by opening the door to the Gentiles here in chapter 10. Acts 10 forever changes the scope of Christianity, and the makeup of the church. Well, let's look at verses 1 through 8, where Cornelius sends a delegation to Joppa. Verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. Well, now, Caesarea was Israel's Roman port on the Mediterranean. The city and its harbor was built by Herod the Great in honor of Roman, the Roman Caesar at the time. It was a magnificent city with a world-renowned deep harbor, and Caesarea was Rome's political and military capital of Israel. It was the home of the, to the governor and the headquarters of the Roman occupation. And there in Caesarea we find stationed a soldier named Cornelius. Continuing in verse 1, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. Now this was a detachment that served as the Roman governor's personal bodyguard. They were like the secret service 
of the Roman military. Verse 2. He was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms or charitable gifts generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. Well, now, this gives us a pretty thorough description of who Cornelius was. He was a devout man, it says. Cornelius was very religious. He lived a moral life by spiritual standards, but he was as lost as he was religious. He was one who feared God with all of his household. I think this means he not only practiced his religion, but his, he was respected enough by those who lived closest to him that they followed his example. He also gave alms or gifts generously to the people. You might say, He put his money where his mouth was. And Cornelius prayed to God always. Now, Cornelius, I believe, was converted to Judaism. And I think the rest of the story bears that out. You see, Cornelius was a man of prayer. And as a convert to Judaism, Cornelius most likely prayed at the normal Jewish prayer times. In fact, The story of Daniel points this custom out to us. We see Daniel praying at certain times of the day. Uh, Daniel chapter 6, we've got it up here. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and instead of hiding in his closet, and he went to his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since early days. Jewish law actually made it their duty to pray three times daily. I've got the three times up here on a, on a slide. 9 a.m. is the first hour of prayer when actually the temple gates were opened. The Hebrew word for this hour of prayer is shasarit, or morning in Hebrew. Noon is the second hour of prayer, and the Hebrew word for this hour of prayer is minshah, or gift offering. It just happened to be the time during the uh, ceremonies at the temple when they were doing the gift offering sacrifices. And then three o'clock is the third hour of prayer called the hour of confession. The Hebrew word for this is ma'ariv, who is which means uh, evening. So this prayer schedule corresponded with the daily sacrifices in the Holy Temple. I like what John Corson says. He's talking about chapter 3 when Peter and John went to the temple and healed the, the lame man. He says, All devout Jews, according to the Jewish custom of the day, every day at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m., They stopped what they were doing. They headed to the temple, at least one of those times, where they spent an hour in prayer. So let's read on in verse 3, continue our narrative, and see what happens. About the ninth hour, that was 3 p.m. of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. 
And when he observed him, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. See, God has heard Cornelius' prayer, even as an unbeliever. God always hears the sincere prayer of a searching heart. But this angel was a totally unexpected visitor. He was frightening, even to this hardened Roman soldier. So the angel says, verse 5, Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. Well, first of all, make sure you get the right Simon. We're not just looking for a fancy pair of sandals or a new leather belt, okay? But I've got a question for each of us here today. Are you ready to put your thinking cap on? Why does Cornelius need to send for Simon Peter? The angel's there. Why doesn't the angel give Cornelius the good news of the gospel? Well, we've come to my third statement in the bulletin. God has not given to the angels the ministry of sharing the gospel with sinners. That's our privilege, to share the gospel to lost souls, a privilege angels cannot have. You see, God could thunder the gospel from heaven if he so desired, but he's chosen to use you and me as instruments to tell people his good news. Talking about religion is kind of a pain, don't you agree? But sharing the gospel can be a joy. In fact, that's what Jesus was talking about years ago. And years ago in my life, I was told about the soul winner's verse in the book of Daniel. Have you heard of the soul winner's verse? I've got it up here. It says this, Daniel 12.3. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness by sharing the gospel will shine like the stars forever and ever. So if you're a soul winner, a good news sharer, you're going to shine not only in heaven but here on the earth as well. And as Coach can tell you, There's nothing more joyous or jubilant than joining in with the largest, loudest celebration party that takes place in heaven every day. Are you aware of that party? It even spills down on the earth as well. Jesus told the tax collectors and the sinners, he said in Luke 15, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And he goes on in verse 10, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now that's a great celebration. You can be part of that party as well. And many of you have. I I think it's like an ho-hum every day of the week happening with Coach Moore. Coach, thanks for being our role model in this area. 
But just like here in Cornelius, the angels, they can join in too. They can invite folks to listen. They can give instructions to follow. They can even join in the party, but the gospel isn't their message to share. I believe Peter was thinking about this very situation here at the house of Cornelius when he introduced the gospel to these Gentiles. He wrote about it later in the book of 1 Peter. It says this, Now this, is, now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Now that's in the uh, New Living Translation. The message version describes the feelings that these angels are having. It says, do you realize how fortunate you are? And God's talking to you. Do you? The angels would give anything to be in on this. This is a privilege that we all have. So this brings us to our fourth special thought in the bulletin. God has chosen us, you and me, as timid or imperfect as we are, to share the gospel, his message of salvation. So Cornelius acts with soldier-like obedience in verse 7. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Well, now God has set up this meeting between Cornelius and Peter, right? So Cornelius sends these three men south along the Mediterranean Coast Highway. I call it the MCH. Have you ever been on the PCH? Well, this is the MCH. And they're going to go tell Peter what God wants Peter to do. Remember what Jared told us last Sunday? Remember how this works? Jared even had the blanks for us to fill in. So get your pencils out again. When God is leading, he's almost always leading on both ends. So what do you think is happening even as these men leave Cornelius' home and head south to Joppa? Exactly. Peter also has a vision. And we come to this in verses 9 through 16. The next day as they went on their journey and they drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Well, that was the noon prayer time. Well, at noon, the tropical heat is on the rise. Uh, Israel is kind of like Southern California or Baja. And it, it um, gets warmer in the afternoon. And Peter climbs to the rooftop patio to enjoy some shade and to cool off in the ocean breeze. And it's lunchtime, verse 10. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. I know I've illustrated the verses up here so that you can enjoy looking at a picture of this. Peter saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. 
And in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth and beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. So a huge picnic blanket descends from heaven with all kinds of incredible inedibles. All the entrees, got got it right, are of the non-koshered variety. Nothing Peter is being offered is on the Jewish menu. Verse 13. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now it's interesting to me that this vision of ceremonial unclean animals would happen at lunchtime. I probably when Peter was most vulnerable for a, a snack or two. But this isn't about forbidden food, is it? Verse 14. But Peter said, not so, Lord. Don't you love it when you can just stand and tell God, no, I'm not that brave these days, although we all have been at one time or another, haven't we? Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed or declared clean, you must not call common. Well, I like what Pastor Sandy Adams tells us. We've had Sandy at our men's conference uh, here in Willows. I, I love his teaching. He says this, Here's what's happening in Peter's vision. God is putting an end to religion. He's replacing it with salvation. You see, Judaism was religion. It was God's religion, even a perfect religion, but it was still religion. Now God is putting religion on the shelf, and he's choosing new terms for his covenant with humanity. So get your pencils out. Number six in the bulletin. Christianity is salvation, not religion. Since none of us are perfect or even good enough, salvation is all about grace. And the only place to find this level of grace is at the cross of Jesus. Verse 16. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, why do you think it was done three times? Well, Peter is a little like me and perhaps some of you. In fact, I spoke to one of you, I won't say who you are, uh, just yesterday. And you said, when I was telling you about this story, you said it wasn't until the third, pers- the third person told me that I woke up and began to listen to what God was telling me. Well, Peter needs a third time before the Lord has his attention, just like most of us. You see, there were three denials before the fire, before he realized. There were three times Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And now three times what God has declared clean, you must not call common. So what's the lesson for you and me right here? I think we need to stay sensitive to God's leading, especially to keep our heart and mind open to new ways that challenge us and help us to grow.
So this brings us to verses 17 through 23. Peter is summoned to Caesarea. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what the vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They made an inquiry. Did you notice that these aren't normal men? Luke tells us they stopped and asked for directions. <laughs> wow. So verse 18. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, they wanted to get the right guy, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Well, Peter is wondering. He's perplexed. He's puzzled. He was mystified by this blanket so much that the Spirit had to give him step-by-step instructions just to get off the roof. uh, Let's look at verse 20 again. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. In this sentence alone, there's four instructions. Get up, go down, go with them, and doubt nothing. And then a confirmation statement. For I have sent them. Well, after they spend the night, Peter will have two more days of walking and thinking and pondering and praying about this sheet from heaven. Verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house to hear words from you. Well, then he invited them in and lodged them for the night. And on the next day, Peter went away with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, as we see on this map, uh, and in the next verse, this is an overnight trip of about 30 miles. And this brings us to verses 24 through 33, where Peter meets Cornelius. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now, Cornelius was waiting for them. This is an important verse. You see, Cornelius is waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. You see, the importance of this encounter wasn't lost on Cornelius, uh, the Roman centurion. The messenger himself was proof that it was important. In fact, don't, you might not know this, but many, if not all, of God's angels are warrior angels. I think he would send a warrior angel to the centurion. This wasn't a cherub bringing valentines, okay? He was bringing a message from Jehovah, the supreme commander. Remember Elisha and his servant? They were surrounded by the Syrian army. 
2 Kings 6.16. So Elisha answered the servant, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I've got to believe it was one of these warrior angels who stood before the Roman centurion. So Cornelius assembled all the troops, the soldiers, the relatives, the close friends to hear from the supreme commander. I want to ask you another question. Do you know that all of us are here right now at Open Gate this morning because of a modern-day Cornelius that called his troops, his family, his friends together? I'm thinking of people like, uh, well, Bill and Nanette aren't here today, or or Lisa back there, and uh, Doug and Cheryl, Thur, uh, Mike Biggs. Lori Pride, uh, Carlene uh, Mann, even Ann Carroll and Mary Taylor because of their kids. Coach and Louise. Do you know what I'm talking about? Verse 24 reminds me of a similar meeting that took place right here in Willows around the year 1978. Let's Look at that verse again. And the following day, I've got it up here on the screen, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I'm going to reread this in a really modern translation, a translation of 1978. And the following day, Levi, Simon, Peter, Tally, entered Willows, not Caesarea. Now Rick Cornelius Prince was waiting for him and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now Rick Prince wasn't a soldier, he was an athlete, but he had the same mentality as Cornelius. Coach Moore back there, he was the adult uh, faculty advisor for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes Club at Willows High School. Lee and Cheryl came to Willows as youth pastor at First Baptist, and Jeff Fleming invited Rick Prince to a Bible study. Was it Sunday school? He invited Rick to church, okay? And Rick came. I don't know whether an angel had visited him at that point. Well, Coach had been talking to him, That's sort of an angel, you know. But he was invited to this Bible study, and after a couple of months, Rick comes up to Lee, and he says, I want to have a Bible study at my house and have all my friends come. Will you and Coach come and teach it? And Lee says, well, have you asked Jesus into your life yet? Well, no, not yet, will I, but I will by then. And Lee said, well, why not? Let's do it. And I think there were 45 kids. Maybe the, I don't know who the 45 were, but they were from 
the high school and college. Uh, Rick was in college at that time. Daryl wasn't there because he'd already left for AAA, all right? Is that right, Daryl? Daryl had been Rick's roommate, right? Okay. So anyway, I had to find a way to work you into this, Daryl. All right. Uh, Where am I? So uh, when Rick says, will you do it? And that's how this Acts 10 meeting took place in Willows over 40 years ago. 45 kids came. They were then invited to a summer Bible study. And 23 of those 45, Lee told me yesterday, 23 of those 45 came. And by the end of summer, all 23 had accepted Christ as Savior. All right? And voila. Lori told me this morning, when I heard 25 years ago that Lee is coming back, it was like having our youth group all over again. That's what God does. Well, the Lord isn't done finding and using Cornelius-type people. You, I hope, are one of them. Verse 25, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Well, that might be where the Willow's reenactment breaks down a little bit. Okay? All right. You see, Cornelius may have been a little too hyped up, thinking Peter to be much more than he was. Verse 26. i got to stop laughing. Okay. But Peter lift, uh, lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Peter stepped into the house. What a step that was. It was likely the first time that Peter had been into the house of a, of a Gentile. Uh, he's still baffled about what all is happening. What is God doing here? You see, the Jews could do business and mingle with the Gentiles, but not on a personal fellowship, spiritual level. It just wasn't done. And it seems to me that Peter, true to his impulsive nature, still puts his foot in his mouth. Look at verse 28. Then, here's his introduction. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company or to go to one of another nation... Well, he was probably self-conscious. But that, and that's not a great introduction of the gospel. But I call it, he makes a great catch when he goes on to say, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. You see, this 30-mile walk had given him enough time to really start thinking things through. So Peter goes on in verse 29. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting. Then he gives all the details of the angel's instructions to send for Peter. And he ends up in verse 33, at the end of verse 33. You have done well to come. Now therefore we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. See, he's still got soldier language here. Commanded you by God. 
So he's saying, we're all here to listen. Tell us God's message. Peter's ready too. So in verses 34 through 43, he begins preaching to Cornelius' household. I'm just going to read this as we read it together. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. Can you just see the progression through the Gospels as Peter is preaching? How God anointed Jesus of, of let's see, after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witness of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he, it is Jesus, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sins. And just as Peter comes to the punchline of his message, he's interrupted. He's interrupted by the Holy Spirit. And I started thinking, when you came to Christ, did any of this happen to any of you? Because it happened to me. It happened the night I was 17 years old. I, went, I wanted to go forward in this Youth for Christ conference. I wanted to give my life to Christ and to seek forgiveness of sin. I remember sitting in the audience of about 200, maybe 250 high school kids, and I'm chomping at the bit to go to the front so that I can receive Christ as my Savior. And as you can all relate to, but the guy wouldn't stop talking. <laughs> can you all relate to that? The Holy Spirit had spoken directly to me. I'd heard enough already. And that's exactly what happens in verses 44 through 48. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Well, what was, what was the word or words that Peter was speaking? Look at verse 43 again. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission or forgiveness of sin. And the moment Peter mentions forgiveness, the hearts of these people responded and opened to the wooing of the Holy Spirit. 
verse 45. And the Jews, those of the circumcision who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Well, God's Spirit provided the proof that Peter needed to break through the old beliefs and attitudes that the Jews held toward the Gentiles. Salvation isn't given only to the seed of Abraham. And Peter will bring this evidence to the church council in chapter 11. God's Spirit accompanies salvation in different ways. I'm thinking again of what happened to me. My friend Rich Hansen, some of you have met Rich. I'm more like Rich. He says, I'm an ungifted charismatic. Okay, well that would probably describe me as well. But the Spirit was just as evident that evening on our bus ride home from, uh, where were we? Santa Barbara to Reedley, south of Fresno. On that bus ride home, 13 of the 15 kids from Ridley High School had committed our lives to Jesus. The other two were already Christians and had been praying for us. We just didn't know it, okay? On that bus, we sang songs. We prayed together. We cried. We gave testimonies. We read Bible verses and we sang more songs. In fact, the bus driver told Wayne... Petnack, my friend that's been here to visit, he was on the bus there. He told Wayne later that he had to pull the bus over because he was so overcome with tears of joy, he couldn't see the road. And he had to pull off so he could weep and cry and sing with us. Jesus had changed our lives. That last semester of my senior year in high school, I saw many, I don't know how many, of my classmates come to our noon YFC club and receive Jesus as their Savior. One of the gals, Twyla, (laughs) she was not a pretty gal, but I remember her most of that group because Inside, in her heart, she was the most beautiful gal on campus. She worked in the background. It was a noon club. So she would go to the cafeteria and she would get lunch for everybody. And we were having, at first, 30 or 40 kids come, and then 80 or 90 kids come. And then after a couple of months, by by May, there were like, 200 kids coming to club, and Twyla was bringing lunch for everybody. And um, 50 years later, I know it was 50 years later, because it happened at our 50th reunion. I didn't go to any others, but by 50, I didn't care how old and fat I looked, okay? And so on the 50th reunion, one of the gals from our class came up to me. She had gone to the YFC club 
And she came up to me and she was thanking Wayne and Vicky and Leola and Cecilia and Jim and Twyla and me for those times at club. She said, it wasn't until after I got married and had children that I remembered what we heard at club. And I decided that I need Jesus if I'm going to be a good mother. So that's when I asked Jesus into my heart. And then she gave me a hug and she said, thank you guys. Group hug. Well, we end this adventure with these last two verses of chapter 10. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then I had some other things to say, but I'm, I'm ready to be done here. So let me go down to that on my notes here. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Well, did you see yourself at all in this story? Maybe Barnabas or Ananias? But you need to be a little more brave than they were. But God is talking to you about, hey, take a risk. Begin stepping out for me more. Or maybe you saw yourself in Cornelius. Maybe you were like Cornelius was. He maybe was religious, but he wasn't saved yet. He needed a Savior. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. Maybe you're like Rick was when he said, I'm going to start a Bible study, and by Thursday, I'll be saved. And it happened. Maybe that's who you can relate to. Or the Cornelius that, like Wayne and, and all of my buddies on that bus, when we started inviting kids to club. I didn't tell you. We'd, been, we'd had the, the YFC club the year before, and we could get like 10 or 12 kids to come. And that was the 10 or 12, well, actually 15, that went to the, to the conference where God did his work. So my prayer to you as we is that God would speak to you about who these people were and he'll work in your heart and life too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. Lord, work in our hearts. Tell us how you want us to respond to your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand and, and sing a last song. And if God is speaking to you about whatever is going on in your life, Come up front. Some of us will be up front for you to pray with. There'll be a lady for the for the uh, library.
you don't have to be a knucklehead like I was. You can just pray right there where you are. And if you haven't received Jesus as Savior, I, all you have to do is just inside your heart and life say, Jesus, thank you for saving me, for loving a rascal like me. Or uh, you can just answer his call and say, Okay, Lord, I'm ready. Send me wherever you want me to go. Next door, across the street, downtown, whatever. Thanks for being here. God bless you.